It's hard to stay sober in the city. Here's your sobriety assistant, Debbie Strand. This is Sober in the City, brought to you by Believe Treatment Center. Believe Treatment Center understands and treats all forms of addiction. Call now, 1-855-874-2354, or visit believetreatmentcenter.com. Advisors are standing by to tell you how they can help and how your insurance can pay for it. We're back with more Sober in the City, and I'm Debbie Strand, and we're talking about changing others' perceptions of you. How do you change your perception of yourself, and how much of it really matters? If you think you or someone you care about might have a problem with drugs, alcohol, food issues, sex, gambling, love addiction, give us a call, 800-SOBER-05, 800-SOBER-05. I'd love to hear from you. Tell us if you're staying sober, how you're doing it, and what's taking you back out if you can't stay sober. And what is your opinion of all this stuff that we're sharing about today? I want to hear from you. I want to talk to you. Visit us at SoberInTheCity.com and listen live on the Sober in the City app for both Apple and Android devices. Call now, 800-SOBER-05, 800-SOBER-05. Changing others' perceptions of you, how are you going to change your perception of yourself and how much of it really matters? Honestly, here's where I'm at on the topic. After I made this post, many kind, caring souls wrote to me and they were trying to help me and trying to lift my spirits. It was actually a post by a friend of mine on my Facebook and he had written, I've been struggling with the things that I cannot change lately, other people's perceptions of me. People close to me see me and trust my true heart, my passion, drive, and desire to help others. Some people, not so close to me, want to invent a darker, selfish side of me that, quite frankly, no longer exists in me. And he was struggling with that. And people thought I was, and they were writing to me. And I was like, you know, they were trying to give me support and God bless them. And I really appreciate it. But I was like, well, you know, obviously these people don't know me because I don't know if I have maybe a little bit too much ego, but I really don't give a crap. If you don't like me, find somebody else. I'm not going to participate. You know, I'm not going to participate in hate. I'm not going to participate in trying to get somebody convinced that I'm a good person. I'm straight with God. I know I do the right things in my life and I have plenty of friends. I have family that loves me. I have my little dog that I take care of. I have this show that I do. I'm the executive director of the Freedom From Addiction Foundation. I have a lot going on in my life. I don't have time to sit around and worry if somebody doesn't like me or disagrees with the fact that maybe my shoes didn't match my purse when I went to a meeting on a Tuesday afternoon. Give me a break. I don't have time for it. And I'm thinking that maybe if you're sitting around and thinking about these things constantly, you don't have enough going on in your life. And I understand in early recovery, I didn't feel like this. I absolutely didn't feel like this. I worried every minute what other people thought of me. I felt like that my whole life. It gave me such a pit of anxiety in my stomach. But I have done the work of the 12-step programs. I have sought outside help. I have looked for answers as to why it was so important for other people to validate who I am. And when I became all that I can possibly be, I'm the best person that I can absolutely be. I know I'm doing my best every day. I put that effort forward and I help a lot of people. So I don't worry about it anymore. And me and my God are straight. And that's all that really matters to me. And everything else will be exactly what it's supposed to be if I keep my eyes on God. And then I responded with a uh, post and I put those who right now appear to be peers in the future may not even be a consideration. So as we get well, our peers change. And the things that once mattered may in the future no longer even be a consideration. We simply outgrow a lot of people, especially when we keep our eyes on him, meaning that we keep our eyes on God. If we're doing our work well, if we're doing what we're supposed to do for our lives, 
what other people think of us is no longer going to matter. So I want to go to the callers and see how they all feel about this. Karen in Detroit, welcome back to Sober in the City. Glad you're here. Thanks for having me, Debbie. I enjoy your program. Thank you. Thank you. Can you share on this topic? Yeah, because if you don't, if you don't like my program, I don't care. No. <laughs> You know, no, but I do like your program. Thank you, thank you. And that's what one of that's what this is about is going beyond. You know, so many of us um, come in here with such a fragile self-esteem. You know, many of us come in with a fragile uh, self-esteem, and we've been told we're wrong, we're bad. There's so much shame involved and things like that that it takes a long time to. I call it reprogram. Um, I used to say that I had a Dolby sound to sound that had an automatic reverse that would play all those bad tapes about all the awful things that I was and what I was about. But recovery gave me this micro mini cassette that I could shove it in and it would change track. And today, thank God, they've changed places. You know, that micro mini still wants to pop in there sometimes. Um, but I had that constant of what you were talking about um, it's where it's the constant seed comes from doing the work, doing the step work, coming to believe um, not just in the higher power, but believe that I'm worthy to be restored to fancy. And so today, it doesn't matter so much. There's still some people in that inner circle that you go, oh, what's going on? But I just feel reality check. I've been told, check, is this really about me? If it's not, I kick it outside the bell. And if it's not about me, um, I don't even let it inside the bell. And there's those things that, do I need to look at this if I'm not sure? Well, um, Tia Melody said during Healing the Inner Child to set it up on my shoulder. These are tools that I learned early on. And I'm grateful to have the ability to use them today when I do get that feedback. It's not always about us. You know, that's that self-centeredness of the disease that if somebody goes off on us it had to be about us and that's not always true a lot of times it's about them it's about their issues it's about like the key word here in this whole conversation is perception Mm. and perception is not always the truth right two different words exactly because it's going through who's ever um filtered and can i change that no that's, uh, I can't, I can share if they want me to share, but it's the same thing. You share your experience, strength, and hope in recovery. Somebody's either going to accept it or they're not. And they're entitled to that because they're entitled to their journey as well. But I don't have to let it so mess me up that it throws me off my square. And I like how you bring up that it goes through their filters and and that's how it comes out. You know, it goes into everybody's like kaleidoscope, if you will. And everybody's filter is different from what they have experienced in their life and what they value. Some people may value other things more than other people. And what they do comes out differently than perhaps you or I might do it, Karen, because we have a different set of values. Right, exactly. And so, again, by allowing a place that I'm really coming to in my life these days is if I want freedom to be who I am and to do what I want to do and talk about what I want to talk about, I have to let somebody else the freedom, even if it's contrary. And the thing I always go back to for a real stark contrast, if I want to speak about a message of love, 
I have to let somebody else have the freedom to speak a message of hate. Because if I censor them, that gives them the right to censor me, and then none of us are talking anymore. Oh, very true. Very true. And how would you recognize love if you didn't have hate? I don't think, you know, I think you have to have that contrast and that balance too, and it's always going to exist. What can we do? Right, right. And it is. We don't know um, if you haven't experienced pain, how, how do you know joy? I never understood that concept of joy pain. And I actually, it's like, okay, so today I know when I'm free from like emotional pain and there's a joy and there's a peace that comes from it. And the same with chaos. How would I know I was in the presence of um, serenity if I didn't know what it was like to stand in the middle of chaos? And that we have, that we have definitely done in all of our paths, the chaos, the drama. I don't miss any of it. I don't know. Uh, my sponsor sometimes says that I still like a little bit of uh, drama to keep things interesting, but I'm really working on that. You know, I, I've eliminated a lot of people from my life that are way too much drama for me. I just, I can't even take the phone calls. I can't take it anymore. Well, how do you feel about drama? Um, I really find it, it presses all my places that it's like, oh, I thought that button was desensitized. I need to just remove myself a little bit here. <laughs> right? I know. And when something pushes my button that's going to make me react in a way that I don't want to react anymore, I remove myself from the situation immediately. The things is the, the safety precautions. You know, I've been dealing with post-traumatic stress disorder after having um, 19 years of being clean. I never dealt with uh, panic attacks. For things like that. And so suddenly it's like, boy, am I glad I've got these tools of recovery um, to diffuse what could be even more volatile than it was. And I think my healing process um, was a lot quicker in that realm because I did have those tools. It was like, even if it meant I needed to separate myself from people that were near and dear, if they were bumping those buttons, it's not a good environment for that point in time. And it's okay. It doesn't mean you don't love them doesn't mean you don't care about people. It doesn't mean any of those things. It just means that the thing I've learned the most, if I'm not taking care of myself, I'm not going to be able to take care of anybody else or any other thing. Oh, yeah, no, I'm running the other direction. I got to take care of myself. I have to, I have to survive. Those are survival instincts for me. I run absolutely the other direction. Karen, thank you so much. I'm glad you're doing better with that issue. Jeff is on the line from the Bronx. Jeff, welcome to Sober in the City. So glad to have you. Hi, Jeff. Thanks for having me back. My pleasure. Um, what do you think of all this? Well, let me congratulate, first of all, Karen, on your 19 years between um, greatest of much of an accomplishment. Um, thank, thank you for you. picking around. Well, I, sometimes I struggle in these areas because perception is a, a broad spectrum because first we have the outside, right? And, um, you know, I belong to a program that that is of attraction, not promotion. So, you know, beginning with the inside, sometimes you were talking about, uh, you know, I no longer worry about how I look if I, uh, if I were to matching this or that to a meeting. And, you know, sometimes, you know, being, I, I, I like to dress sharp, and sometimes I, I do think about it, you know, or maybe overly think about it. You know, and um, and I wonder, you know, I'm like, if I had went to a meeting and everybody was dressed terribly, whatever I kept coming, because that was what I was used to. You know, that's what I was attracted to. 
Because everybody mm. looked like, uh, well, maybe had been a bum. Maybe I was in our cup kept coming. You know, um, secondly, we have the inside, right? And, and you know, um, I've done a lot of work on the inside, but I constantly take a moral inventory. Every day I take that moral inventory and see what I might have done better. And, and, and you know, they say the uh, people's first perception of you means a lot. So I try to, you know, I try to make, make sure my audio match, matches my video. <laughs> I like that. I, 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 don't, I don't want um, to go in a meeting and share and talk all this stuff and leave, leave with five different women. You know, and uh, something like that. Uh, you know, and then when people, you know, I, I, several, I, I go through this all the time. Somebody will say something to me, and you say it may be somebody that's not close to you, but I have people sometimes that are close to me and say something to me, and I have to check, and I'll call other people, and like, do you think that's, you know, is, let me have your opinion. Do you think I'm... I have been like that, or I am like, you know, I've become open-minded to suggestions, but if I found out and figure out that that is not my perception of me, if that's not me, I can just let it go and say that's your stuff. Okay, so you keep it. You know, so it's a delicate balance, you know, but um, after doing done some spiritual work, and, and been nourished. My hope is I just don't become so self-righteous that I'm no longer no worldly good. You know, I, I don't want to be, okay, I'm clean. I didn't just get clean to just for me to be clean. You know, to say, oh, okay, yeah, I'm clean, I'm clean. No, I, I got clean. I was rescued by God. And he didn't save me. He didn't rescue me just for me to keep it to myself. So they say we can't keep it without giving it away. I got to gratefully give it away. So, you know, I do try to carry myself in a manner that would be pleasing to us. Well, I love everything that you're saying, Jeff. Absolutely agree. And, you know, you started off with talking about, you know, trying to dress nice and dressing sharp. And what if you, would you have continued to go back to meetings if everybody was dressing like somebody that was still living on the streets? And I like the idea that people come in and can see that sobriety has done something for them. But I go to a meeting that's like an after hours group. It's at 530 and it's in an affluent neighborhood. And you go there and and people are coming home from work, those that have jobs and many of Uh them don't Uh because they're wealthy and they're dressed very nice. And I know as a newcomer coming in that was tore down on crack and heroin and I came in and I walked through those doors, I thought these people aren't anything like me. So, you know, it's, you know, it's a fine line there too. But as the recovering person that's coming in, I want to, A, start to feel a little bit of self-esteem. So I start to clean up my outsides and I start to feel good about myself and I start to take care of myself and I start to get better things in my life because I'm doing good things in my life. And now I can have a job and keep a job and pay my rent and take care of those things. So it's important that we grow ourselves. But I don't know. I mean, you know, it, it brings up a good point about not being too overdressed or, or too, too fancy to maybe try to make the other person feel comfortable, but you got to be you too. And 
that's the other thing, you know, you get a couple of years and you're just living your life. You're just stopping by a meeting to save your life. You know, you're not there to dress to impress or to dress to unimpress anyone. You're just there taking care uh-huh. of what we call life. I mean, that's what we fought for. Absolutely. Right. You know, I, I think me, for me personally, I'm like, okay, well, we can dress nice, but we don't want to draw attention, draw, just draw attention because of the way we're dressed. You know, if, if a person is serene in his, in his physical body, you can tell. You know, um, but like I said, then the audio has to match the video. I love that you say that. So just like we've been talking about, <laughs> your actions have to match your words. And if you're sharing about what a great spiritual person, well, you know, and it happens at the meeting I attend too. everybody's in there singing Kumbaya and drinking the Kool-Aid and they get out in the parking lot and they're trying to run you over to be the first one out the driveway. It's like, well, weren't you just the guy in there sharing how, you know, you got such a great God. He's giving you so many gifts. Now you're running me over with that Mercedes that God just gave you. I tell you what, that isn't what God gave it to you for. Maybe he gave it to you so you can give some people rides to meetings. How you like that? <laughs> Absolutely. I like that. Mm, thank you, Jeff. We've got Eric on the line from Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. Eric, welcome to Sober in the City. Hello. I just want to get back to the basic topic of uh, people's perception of you and how it's uncontrollable. And it's up to the individual to control their own thoughts. And there's no way for you to control someone else's thoughts, no matter what you feel you've achieved or where you've been or how far you feel you've come in your life, that person who is from your past that you face to eliminate because they're just no longer keeping up with the style of life you wish to have. Whatever you talk about, that before. So you eliminate that person, and now they have a bad perception of you because you're no longer struggling like that. And how can you control that? You can't. You just have to move on. I mean, there really isn't any choice you have but control your own thoughts. And there's a very good book called Man's Search for Meaning by Victor Franken. And he was a Jewish psychiatrist in the concentration camp back in Auschwitz during World War II. He said, no matter what the Germans did to me, they couldn't control my thoughts. And that's how your life comes about. You know, when you think about, you bring about thoughts and some things. And if you're constantly thinking about your next fix, or I'm never going to have this, or I'm never going to have that, then that's all you're ever going to have. And a lot of people have problems changing their thinking, so they have problems changing their lives. So that's where everybody has to start. You know, psychiatrists have said getting a person to admit that they have a problem is the biggest step. So not caring about what people perceive about you is your first step, because all you can do is perceive yourself, think about yourself. You can't control their thoughts about you. And if they are interfering with your progression for a better life, then like Debbie said, you just have to eliminate that person. You really don't have uh, any other choice. Either. You don't. You don't. You and don't have an option. To, no. And mine goes to my own mother. You know, I, I started in a movie in Redbox. I have a patent on a children's toy I've been working on for seven years. It's about to come out. I'm a combustion turbine and generator specialist. We grew up dirt poor in Sharpsburg on welfare. No matter what I do, she says I was a bad kid and I'm a horrible son. And I can't change her perception of me no matter what I do. So what did I have to do? Eliminate her from my life and move on to bigger and better things. So even with someone in your family that's as close as your mother is supposed to be, what choice do you have when no matter how your accomplishments come about, but 
to eliminate that person and go on to the life you know you deserve and have worked so hard to achieve. You know, and there's another thing about perception. And Eric, I have to say, I'm so sorry that that happened to you. Because our natural perception is that our parents are going to love us unconditionally, take care of us, yeah. nurture us, and and promote us. You know, bring us along and say, way to go. Good job. I'm proud of you. You're right. And, you're correct. And when, and when you're slapped in the face with, you're an idiot, how stupid are you? You overcome all that, and you still can't change your perception. That is the biggest life lesson to know. You can't control how anybody looks at you. All you can do is control how you see yourself and what you want out of your own life. And that's such an important message to put out there because I see so many people get stuck to continually over and over to try to please this person, to try to get them to yeah, see things their know? way, to try to change their perception, to just do and give I'm to. Like, why won't they? Why won't they? Right? Why yeah. won't this person who's supposed to care about me see all my accomplishments? And you're begging for it. Well, you know why? Because if that person does that, then they have to accept all the horrible things they get to also. And they don't want to accept that either. Wow. You know what I mean? Yeah. So they're not going to accept either of it. And maybe maybe that horrible thing is a friend who just kept behind the drugs for you to do with them. You know what I mean? So right. you've got past that person. And they don't want to accept you because... You're not sitting there doing them drugs. You've done something better. You got a job. You went to school. You became an X-ray tech. Now they're still stuck on heroin, so their perception of you isn't going to change. Is they can only see you as sitting in that spot doing that drug when you made such a better life for yourself. Uh, yeah, and I got accused by someone from my past that I'm all high and mighty because I got sober. I'm not high and mighty. I mean, I, no, you're I, not. No, you're not. You're just thankful. You're just thankful. Yeah. You wish they could see and appreciate how thankful you are, but they can't because they're still stuck. Yep. In that horrible place of unhappiness, you know, not knowing they have, they know they have this choice, but they don't think they change. Yeah, that's, the problem. that's so true. And one of them was my um, past drug dealer. And, you know, just like you said, I just came to that realization as you were sharing that about your mom, she would have to accept the things that she did to you if she accepted that you were yep. actually a good person. And he would have to accept that during those years, he really helped me tear my life down to tear it apart. So that could be a big dynamic to it. Wow, Eric, that's tremendous. Wow, great. And, and he, he never, never even, he, he doesn't want to see you because he knows he didn't say no. He didn't care enough to tell you no. You know what I mean? Just like she doesn't care enough to say, hey, good job. And there's those little things of perception that you can't do. So if you eliminate those people and move on, when you finally get reached the goal of surrounding yourself with people who perceive you the way you perceive yourself, and the thoughts and the opinions on the inside are stronger than the thoughts, opinions, and characters on the outside, then you've mastered your life. Because oh, my God, Eric, that's so beautiful. Only, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. I sure do. <laughs> you really don't have a choice. You don't have a choice but to think for yourself only. What else are you going to do? I mean, when you rely on these other people's thoughts or opinions for so long, it breaks down and basically hurts you and disappoints you. And then you go do it for yourself, and their thoughts and opinions still hurt you and disappoint you, and you just have to eliminate them. That's it. That's it. You and still, I mean? still sometimes, yeah. and let me ask you, like with your mom, do her thoughts and opinions still haunt you from time to time, and you have to get control of those thoughts and oh, things always. still pop they up? They always will. I, I won't. They always will. I said I will only speak to her if she apologizes to me. All my friends my age, 
that have been friends with since we were little kids who had the same traumatic childhood. They all got apologies from their parents. They all came back to them and said, I'm sorry. I didn't realize, and they have a good relationship. And I said, the man I am now deserves an apology for that little boy. And she won't apologize. And that haunts me every day. Mm. She acts like what she did then is still okay. What do you do today? You know, so she choose you. What do you what do? I do today? What do you do today to take care of that little boy? Oh, I do everything I've dreamed of. You know, I own a boat on the river. I have a beautiful place right on the river. I travel with my job. I have this invention. My first product I have a patent on that I'm trying to get on the shelves hopefully by next year called Soup Talk. I have a couple other products, consumer products I'm working on that I'm trying to get patents on. So I just live my life and be happy. I feel karma is the best thing about it. And go out and do good things, good things will happen. And the best revenge kind of is let it go, forgive, live the best life you can, and show them that no matter what they thought or felt about you, you are a good person. You did the best thing you could. And they can't take that away from you, really. That's awesome, Eric. I'm really glad that you uh, called in, that we had those words of wisdom from you. Sounds like you're doing terrific. You have a great attitude, and you could just tell that you're well-balanced and happy. Um, Karen, would you like to comment on maybe on some of the few things that Eric was just sharing? Well, no, I, I totally, uh, totally agree. And that's like when he started it about the perception that you can't control it. And that was my thing. You know, if other people have their, you know, the filters or whatever you want to call it, the dynamics, their history, um, that's like even people will say, oh, if, uh, you know, I were you, I would do blah, 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 blah in a particular situation. No, you wouldn't. You would do exactly what I'm doing because you would be me. You wouldn't <laughs> right. be you inside my body. And, you know, and that's even with the perceptions, you know, it's like some people, they're just, they're stuck in that place, no matter um, how much you change, uh, they're still stuck in that place of seeing you in a certain way and manner. And as long as they are there, like I say, that's their perception. It doesn't make it to be the truth. And um, a lot of the things he was talking about, about how you can change that and how you can change yourself, and it does end up being that you have to be true to yourself. Um, like you were, like you were saying, also um, at the tail end of, of what we were talking about, it's, it's where yeah, those people that have that kind of um, the, the the chaos and the drama, I have to let them go through it and put them at an arm's length so that it doesn't overflow. I don't have to take it personal today, and I can let them be in that place until they come to a different place. And trying to. Um, you know, even judge a person. I've got a comedy character that I do, and it's um, Stella the Babysitter, and she dresses real punk, and I wear all my fishnet and, and things like that and paint on my face. And it's all about not judging a book by its cover. So even, you know, the old, oh, if I'm if I'm dressed good and looking good, that means I'm okay on the inside. And um, in the book of my face, it says, oh, yeah, you, you know, you're like a whitewashed sepulcher. You know, you look all good on the outside, but you have on the inside. And so you can't judge people by the way they're dressing. And it always talks about why we're here. It's, you know, I love the preamble in the book that fellowship I go to. It says, you know, we don't care uh, who you are, what you did, how much you did, uh, but what is your problem and how can we help? Thank you all so much for being here today. And we will do it again next week. Same place, same time. Eric, you have anything else you'd like to add? You are... Yeah, you are in control of your thoughts. You can your happiness. There might be a lot of children out there under 18. 
that think their life is horrible. But when you turn 18, it's your life. You make your decision. No matter what has happened to you or how tough it's been, if once you decide to do it for yourself and not care what anybody thinks, you really take control. Decide to be happy. Go for your dreams. There's no one can hold you back. Going to your parents, no marriage, no nothing. Only you can hold you back. Your own thoughts and lack of control. Thank you, Eric. I sure appreciate you being here. Wherever there is breath, there is hope. Never give up and never quit fighting. Please support our advertisers so we can continue to bring you Sober in the City. And visit us at SoberInTheCity.com and listen live to the Sober in the City app for Apple Android devices. Please support the Freedom from Addiction Foundation at FFAFoundation.com. Put a dollar in the basket. Until next week, I'm Debbie Strand, one day at a time, staying sober in the city. At Belief Treatment Center, we understand. We understand you are struggling. That's why our treatment nourishes mind, body, and spirit. We understand that recovery works differently for everyone. That's why we design individual treatment programs specifically for you. At Believe Treatment Center, we understand that it's not easy. That's why we offer a comprehensive scope of services, including nutrition, massage, chiropractic, and aftercare for you and even for your family. Believe Treatment Center is a 12-step friendly, state-of-the-art facility located in gorgeous Palm Beach County, Florida. We are experts in all types of addiction and recovery, and we are proud sponsors of Sober in the City. To find out more about our program and how your insurance may cover your treatment, call us today at 1-855-874-2354. That's 855-874-2354. 1-855-874-2354. Or visit BelieveTreatmentCenter.com. Believe Treatment Center. We understand.